Good morning, Life Community Church. It is good to be here today. Uh, even if I can't speak, hopefully that'll get better. I'm sure it will. Uh, it's good to be here and sharing God's Word with you again. So we're in First John still, and hopefully as long as everything goes well today, we'll finish First John today. Um, but we're in First John chapter 5, and First John is a letter, right? Written by the Apostle John, and a letter follows a certain procedure, right? There's a way that letters work, or a way that papers or essays work. So if any of you remember high school or college, you had to write papers, you had to write uh, things. Maybe you wrote a letter recently. I don't know. Do people still write letters? Does that happen still? A few people? Okay. Oh, good. That's good to know. So, but papers, so uh, they followed a certain order, right? You had an introduction. Uh, for example, introductions of most of my papers were, hi, my name's Adam. Uh, here's my idea. It's a great idea. You should give me an A, right? And then there would be a few body paragraphs that would explain all the reasons why I should be given an A for my paper. And then there would be a conclusion paragraph or two, uh, depending on how ambitious I was and how much more I had a right to read the length, meet the length requirements, uh, that would sum up everything that I just said in the body and then remind them I should get an A. That'd be great. So did it work? Sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. And that's what John is doing here. So some of this may sound familiar because John wrote an introduction to his letter. And there are a few body points to the letter. And now there's a conclusion to the letter. So John is wrapping everything up that he said throughout the rest of First John here. So some of it may sound repetitive. Some of it may sound like things that you've heard before or familiar anyways. Well, that's on purpose. John is trying to take these main points that he spent these five, four chapters digging through and really hammer them home so that the reader, so that his audience knows what it is he's trying to say. He can take it home with them. And as I've worked through this, just to give you an idea of where we're going, the way I see it, there are four big points that John hits in this, these closing paragraphs of the letter of 1 John. And those four main points, they hit two core values of Gnosticism, which is the big thing that John is arguing against and trying to lead people away from throughout this letter. And for those of us today, I think it helps us with one big thing in our life that I think could be one of the biggest things in our life in the culture in which we live. So there's four big things. We'll go through them. The four big things. Number one is Christ, right? Jesus. It's kind of a big deal. That's what the whole book of the Bible is about, right? It's all about Jesus. And John spends some time talking about who is Jesus, who is the person of Jesus. Number two is salvation. Again, a really, really big deal that if we mess this thing up, then it messes everything up in our life. So John spends some time talking about salvation. And then three, everyone's favorite subject, sin. John spends some time on sin. So we'll talk about that today too. And the fourth one that he talks about is idolatry. He spends just a brief moment, he's kind of throwing at the end, it'll make sense, uh, on idolatry. And the two big points of Gnosticism, remember Gnosticism is this idea, this heresy that John is arguing against to the early church. Gnosticism was, comes from the Greek word, it means knowledge. And they had two of their big beliefs were that uh, Jesus wasn't, wasn't fully divine, right? For the Gnostics, there was this hard separation between the divine and the physical. And those two things didn't intersect with each other. So they, they would teach, again, the, the Gnostics, not the Bible, would teach that 
when Jesus died, his spirit, the, the Christ spirit, the divine part of him, left his body until he died. And then when he rose again, that divine spirit came back to him. And that's what raised him to the dead. That would be what the Gnostics teach. It's not what the Bible teaches, but it's what the Gnostics teach. So John argues against that here. Another core belief that the Gnostics had, um, which is similar to some of the teachings that's out there today, is that the way to this special knowledge was to know yourself more. Right? It was internal. It was digging deeper into yourself. So then through that, then you would find the divine within you, and then you would know God because of that. Um, and one of their teachings, one of their sayings, is that if you don't know yourself, then you live in poverty, and you are poverty, which sounds like very heavy, like you are poverty. Like, just, I don't know, it just sounds very epic to me. But it's, it's not true, but that's what they taught, right? So John comes against those things, okay? So, and he does that through those four big points that we talked about. So the first one is Christ. So let's turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, verse 6. 1 John chapter 5, verse 6. I'm going to read verses 6 through 12. Then he, speaking of Jesus, came by, came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he has borne concern in his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. So John starts this opening paragraph of this message today with, Jesus was flesh and blood. He was water and blood. He wasn't just a spirit. He was an actual guy. He was an actual man who actually lived on the face of the earth, who actually walked the streets and kicked dirt and ate food. Like, and he did those things. And, and I want to be like Jesus, so I eat food also. That's just part of what I'm doing with my life. I think it's a good thing. But Jesus was an actual person. And when I think about that, like, can you imagine the stories that Jesus would have told around a campfire or just anywhere? But especially around a campfire, because I think we all know that uh, stories are, are better around a campfire. It's a scientific fact that I made up just now. Um, actually, I made it up in first service, but I'm repeating it just now too. Uh, but can you imagine what it would have been like to live with him, to move with him, to be a part of his life? And that's extremely important because the Bible talks about how he experienced all the temptations that we did. There's no suffering that's not um, common to Jesus that he doesn't know about, right? He knows those things, so he knows our sufferings. He laughed with his friends, and I'd imagine he told the best jokes, and he wept with his friends, I would imagine if there's ever been a shoulder to cry on, his shoulder was probably the best shoulder to ever cry on. Like, can you imagine what it would have been felt like in your deepest, darkest moments to be able to just rest in the arms of the person, Jesus? It would have been amazing. So if we lose the personhood of Jesus, the, the humanity of Jesus, then we lose a lot. But also, if we lose the 
the deity of God, the godness of Jesus, then he's just another guy. He's just another, a good teacher who said some really smart things and a lot of people followed him and he did some nice stuff for the world. But if he's not God, then he's just another man. And that doesn't save us, right? He's just another guy who died for his cause. And there, over the course of the centuries of this humanity, there have been many men, many women who have died for their cause. But Jesus is different from any of them because he is both God and man. We have to have both. Otherwise, we lose the whole thing. And that's what John is saying later on here when he says, if you don't believe the testimony, then you're making God a liar. If you take any part of the Bible and you throw it out and say, I believe all of this stuff, but this piece here I have a really hard time with, so I'm going to throw it off to the side, then you're calling God a liar, and you're far from him. So John is reminding us again that it has to be the whole thing. You can't pick and choose. So there's Jesus. He was an actual guy. The next thing John talks about in this throughout this scripture is salvation. We'll start here in verse 11. We'll read this again. And this is the testimony that God gave us. Eternal life in his life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. The focus there is on the one who gave the gift, who gave the gift of salvation. He continues in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So the focus of salvation, the focus of our assurance of knowing that we are in God is not in ourselves, but in Christ, in God, in what he did for us, not in what we did for ourselves. Paul would say in Ephesians that salvation is a free gift from God so that none of us can boast. We can't look at ourselves and say, look how awesome I am. We can't be like me writing papers in high school. Here's my idea. It's awesome. Give me an A, right? That's not the way it works with God. With God, it's Jesus was awesome, and he gave his life for us so that we can have salvation in him. Like I said, like Paul said, so that none of us can boast about it. And that means that I I can trust in him for salvation. And that's what gives me the assurance of my salvation, is that Christ first loved me while I was far from him. Christ gave his life for me. Now, this doesn't mean I just live however I want and let the chips fall where they may. And we'll get to that in a minute. But that assurance, salvation, I don't have to stress about it. I don't have to worry, am I right with God? Because I've trusted that God has changed my life, right? And again, that doesn't mean we keep on sinning, but we'll get to that in a minute. But salvation is a gift from him. And that's how we can have assurance, that we can rest in him. John is saying this so that his, as he would say later in the scripture, his little children wouldn't live with that stress, with that worry. They can trust in him. But then he goes on to talk about prayer. And we'll just mention this briefly. But even the focus of prayer is on God. Verse 14, he says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then we have the request that we've asked for. Right? Now, we've all asked for things 
prayed for things that maybe weren't in God's will. So a fun example, I think anyways, uh, maybe nobody else does. That's okay. I'll share it anyways. A fun example, uh, any of you ever seen the show Star Trek or the movie Star Trek? Anybody? Nobody wants to admit it. It's okay. There's three of us here, right? We're not the only ones. I'm sure there's others that have watched it. The movie's made lots of money. But they had this device in Star Trek, right, called a teleporter, and they would, they would stand in it, and then they, they would say, beam me up, Scotty, and then they would go someplace else. Like, that's, that's awesome, like, and if I could pray for anything in the world, I'm going to be honest with you, that's one of the things I would pray for because I hate driving my car. Like, if I could wake up in the morning, go to the special room in my, in my house and say, teleport me to my office, and then I was there, that would save me some time, right? Like, I could spend more time eating, right? I could spend more time drinking coffee. There's lots of things I could do with my time rather than drive, right? And again, that's silly, but if anybody wants has a way to make that work and can make me one. It's awesome. I'd accept it. Um, that's a silly, silly prayer. And I don't know why I even talked about it. So we'll talk about a serious one. We've all had other things that we've prayed for, right? Like more serious things where we've prayed and we've desperately asked God to do this thing, right? I have something in my life that comes to mind almost right away every time I think about this. When I ask God again and again and again, do this thing, God. Do this miracle. I, I trust that this is your will. I am almost certain that this is your will. And it didn't happen. I didn't get the prayer answered the way that I wanted it to. It happened almost exactly the opposite of the way that I'd asked God to do. And I had begged him. I was, I was certain that this is what you want, God, right? And then on the other side of that thing, it didn't happen. Now, if I'm not trusting God, and to be honest with you, when that happened, there was a part of me that was devastated. In fact, I would say that most of me was devastated because things didn't go the way that I wanted them to. But now, looking back at my life with the benefit of three to four years of hindsight, I can see God did something far more beautiful in that situation than I ever could have imagined. And that's the thing about prayer. When we pray, when we focus on ourselves, all we see is the moment that we're living in, Right? All we see is the hour, the minute, the second, the month, whatever it is. All we see is this thing right here in front of us. And when we pray and we're asking God to do something in our life, he's looking at the, the wholeness of our life. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but he, the entirety. That's the word I'm looking for. He looks at the entirety of our life from beginning to end, however many years he gives us on this earth. He sees all of it. So he answers the prayer in the way that it should be answered with all of that. We don't have that benefit. So we tend to pray very small prayers. And we expect God to do things in ways that we think are best. But God sees the beginning from the end. And he actually knows what's best in our life. So that thing that I was mentioning in my life, God knew exactly how that was going to work out. And he knew how he was going to use that to shape me into the man that I am today. And had that thing not happened, then I wouldn't be who I am today. And God has used that thing more glorious ways than I ever could imagine. And that's, that's the thing, right? When we're trusting in God, we can live with that kind of confidence. We can live through moments like that knowing that my salvation does not change, right? Just because I'm experiencing this hardship in my life does not mean that my salvation is, I can still trust and that that thing doesn't change. And that song that we sang uh, during worship, 10,000 Reasons, I can continue to thank God for the 10,000 other reasons. I can continue to praise him for everything that he's given me. 
We can continue to trust in him. So that's Jesus, who's a man. He actually lived. Salvation, it's a gift from God. It's not something I do by myself. It's a gift God gives me. And the next thing we'll talk about is sin. If anyone, in verse 16 now, chapter 5, verse 16, says this, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God. And that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now there's a lot that John is saying here. And we could spend a long time on this. He's talking about the sin that leads to death, but then there's other sin that doesn't lead to death. And then you look at it through the whole of Scripture, and Paul makes it very clear in Romans that the wages of sin is, is death, right? So is this one of, those, one of those things where the Bible contradicts himself? Side note, in my opinion, those spots where the Bible contradicts itself doesn't actually contradict yourself, but we'll talk about that some other time. But is, it, is this one of those things where the Bible's like arguing against himself, and there's like some secret like battle between John and Paul, and they're like secret enemies, and like, I hate you, no, I hate you. And like, and there's just back and forth between the two of them. I don't necessarily think so. As I've prayed about this and studied this and spent a lot of time reading about this passage and reading through the scripture, there is a sin that leads to death, right? When we don't repent of our sin, when we see, uh, Pastor Steve talked about confession a few weeks ago, when we see that there's sin in our lives or a brother or sister points that thing out to us and we say, nah, I'm good, right? Or maybe we say to ourselves, I'm going to handle this thing by myself, right? I'm not going to take this thing to God. I'm going to take this thing on myself and I'm going to walk over here and I'm going to try to figure this thing out all by myself. That will eventually lead to death. That'll lead us far away from God and we will get further and further and further away from him. But when we have that sin in our life, and we all have had sin in our life, right? When we have that sin in our life and the Holy Spirit reveals it to us or a brother or sister comes to us in, in a loving way and says, hey, uh, Adam, there's this thing. Like, You've got to deal with this stuff. And we say, you're right. And we, and we go to God with it. Think of David after he's called out with Bathsheba, right? For those of you um, who may not know the story, David um, had an affair with this other woman named Bathsheba. And then he covered it up by having her husband killed. So then he committed murder too. And... Good job, David. Like, that was sarcastic. It was not, not good. Bad job, David. Don't, not good to commit murder. Uh, and then when the prophet comes to him and says, David, like, you did this thing. And David falls and he weeps, right? And he, he makes things right with God. He goes back to God rather than continuing to try to figure this thing out on his own. And that's what repentance is. And that sin, that doesn't lead to death because God changes us. And then he goes on to say that the one who is born of God, speaking of us, brothers and sisters in Christ, we've been born of God, right? We don't continue sinning. We go back to him. So how do we fight that, right? How do we fight that sin in our life? Because I'd imagine we all have these things that we continue 
to battle against. Now, with sin, it's easy to talk about it, or maybe it's not easy, but it's, it's common for us to talk about it in this kind of like theoretical, philosophical idea, like it's this thing that's out there, and there's the sin, and we're dealing with it, and we're battling sin. But sometimes in order to actually have a real conversation about how we actually deal with sin in our life, because John makes it very clear that we're not supposed to keep on sinning. So how do we, how do we not sin? Like, do we just, do we try to figure it out on our own? Does that actually work? Or is there a better way to not sin in our life? Sometimes it helps to have an actual example. So for me, one of the things that I find myself constantly doing is what, uh, not constantly, one of the things I've consistently battled with throughout my life, there we go, I want to say that correctly, is what C.H. Spurgeon, uh, he was a preacher way back in the day, called the sin of unbelief, right? This idea that when something happens in my life, when there's a stressful situation in my life, my knee-jerk reaction when I'm not following God the way that I should is to think that I have to figure this thing out all by myself, right? And then I start to feel just, just a little bit on the stress side, right? Just, just a, a little bit on the stress side, right? I start to feel just a little bit of anxiety, and then I start working things up in my head. How am I going to fix this? How am I going to fix this? How am I going to fix this? And it quickly becomes focused on me and what I'm going to do to solve this problem in my life. Now, I have found over the years, because I've lived a little bit, is that when the when I'm trying to find the solution in me by myself, it tends to go very badly, right? Like I have this thing in my life. I told first service, one of the things I often find myself doing is standing awkwardly in places. <laughs> it's just, I don't know what to do with myself. Like that happens sometimes. And then I often find myself in over my head. It's just a nature of my life, right? And when I do that, I'm quick. Like there's this part of me that's very quick to not, to not trust God in that and try to figure it out by myself. And that, that leads to death in my life, right? Not immediately death, like, because I'm still alive, I'm still here, but that leads to spiritual death. And it leads to death in relationships because I am so stressed because I'm not trusting God. But here's what I found over the years. When I am spending more time with God, when I'm spending more time trying to know him better, even before that stressful things happen, when I am consistently having devotional time with him, when I'm consistently spending my drive time because I don't have a teleporter yet, someday, someday or a flying car, that'd be awesome too. But when I'm consistently spending my drive time in worship or in prayer, or spending time listening to somebody else preach, when those stressful things happen, my knee-jerk reaction is not, I have to figure this out by myself. My knee-jerk reaction tends to be, well, I can trust God to do this. Right? So the way that I have found that I need to battle sin in my life is to not just to buckle down and try harder by myself. But the way that I found that I need to battle that in my life is to spend more time with Him. And not to know myself better and to know my strengths and my weaknesses. Like, that helps. But the thing that actually changes life is to know God better and spend more time with Him. And here's what that does for me. Again, like that, that takes the pressure off. Like I can trust Him if I'm spending time with Him, knowing Him and spending time with Him and, and finding out how much He loves me, then I am far more likely to trust Him and in other things in our life, I would argue that most sin that we deal with as humanity are just 
a cheap counterfeit of what God actually offers us, right? It's not the real thing. It's something that looks kind of like the real thing, but it's not actually the real thing, right? So we have this candy jar in my house, and last night, it had been a busy week. We had done some bailing straw and then shoveling stuff at the farm. I don't want to get into that right now. But we had a busy week, and I was like, I want a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup for two reasons. Number one, Reese's Peanut Cup Cups are awesome, and number two, they're tasty. So I got out of the candy jar two little miniature-sized Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I thought, I thought one was an actual Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, and the other one was not. It was a cheap counterfeit of Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. And I bit into it, and I said out loud and to myself, to anybody who wanted to hear me complain, as I'm doing now, maybe that's, eh, whatever, uh, this, is, this is not a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. This is a lie. Like, this, is, this is not, it, wasn't, it was okay, but it wasn't nearly as tasty. That's what sin is, right? It's this thing that we think is going to satisfy us, but in the end, it leaves us saying, this, this is not the real thing. Like when God is right there the entire time, all the joy, all the comfort, all the peace, all the rest we could ever need is found in him. And those things, that stress that I feel within myself to figure out everything all by myself, that's never going to give me peace. But when I rest in him and who he is, when my focus is on him, not in myself, I actually find what it is I'm looking for. I don't have to go through that stress part. And then John wraps it up, talking about idolatry. And we know, verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. We are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. The little children Keep yourselves from idols. Verse 20 points out that God has given us understanding, but it's not to know ourselves. It's to know God. It's to know him more deeply. I think I shared a few times, maybe last time I preached, that our hearts are restless until we find rest in him. God didn't give us knowledge so that we can know ourselves better and find rest in ourselves. God gave us knowledge so that we can know God and we can find rest in him. And then in verse 21, John kind of throws it on at the end there. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. There's idols that are external, that people bow down and they worship. There's money, whatever it may be. But I think there's also the idolatry of self. The idolatry of whatever I want, whatever makes me happy. And that leads to that stress of, I have to figure this thing out on my own because... In the end, we, we treat ourselves as an idol. I think what John is getting at here is, is little children. That's not where it is. The focus shouldn't be on you and yourself. The focus should be on God. He's the only thing worthy of our worship. He's the only person we can trust to find our true everlasting rest in. So, maybe you're here today and you've been living that way. Maybe you've been living with that stress, or maybe you've been battling this one particular sin over and over and over again. My, my encouragement to you would be, you don't just do that just by buckling down and trying harder. You find victory over sin by knowing God better, and finding out that he's the one who actually satisfies, and he can be trusted.
So with that, I'll pray. Dear God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for your love for us. Thank you that that love doesn't change, that love doesn't go away. And God, I pray today as we sing this last song that we would make it the prayer of our hearts, God, that we would surrender ourselves to you totally and completely. Every part of us, God, not, not just the parts that are easy to surrender, but the parts that are difficult to surrender. And that our trust and our hope be fully in you, not, not in ourselves, not in anything of this world, but solely and completely in you. And God, we thank you and we praise you for that. In your name, amen.